Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go everything racing from this past weekend. It was a big weekend of racing. Let me introduce you to the panel I have tonight. Uh, in the house with me, Mr. Seth Eggett, our NASCAR correspondent. Seth, how are you? Doing good. And my race engineer friend, Richard Uden, in with us tonight. Richard, how are you? I'm very good, thank you. You rested up from your weekend on the yacht at Monaco? Well, Back in know, May, did, yep. a bit, did a bit of uh, a bit of rowing on the uh, lakes of Montreal this week. All right, so uh, speaking of which, yep, Montreal, Michigan, and Texas were the sites of the races this week. Um, Formula One winner was Sebastian Vettel. Um, Scott Dixon takes it home in Texas, and in the NASCAR race that was delayed by rain and shortened by rain, we saw Clint Boyer, um, first two-win season since about 2012, so uh, that's all well and good, we'll get into that later, but we do have a guest in the studio tonight, our guest is driver of the number 13 uh, truck for Thorsport Motorsports, um, with support from uh, LA Hot Sauce, Carolina Nut Company, uh, Myatt Snyder. Myatt, pleased to have you in the studio with us tonight. How are you this evening? Well, I'm happy to be representing uh, the Ford Performance drivers after such a good weekend. You know, with uh, Clint Boer winning and uh, Harvick running second, it was uh, kind of the perfect storm. Absolutely. Yeah, the Fords have been strong this year. So uh, so now for you folks out there listening who maybe have not heard uh, Myatt Snyder's name, you probably have heard of his dad, um, Marty Snyder, who's uh, worked in television for years and years that uh, we've seen him in the pit lanes at indycar races we've seen him in the pit lanes at nascar races we've seen him on the sidelines of football games and i guess my question for you might is is that kind of how you were brought into racing did your dad take you along to the track when he was working because i know there's a famous guy named jackie eeks whose dad was a journalist and became really interested in racing the same way so uh, i i just like to know some of your early influences um and that, that drove you towards wanting to race cars. He actually, um, he, he, being that he worked in motorsports for so long, I was always around it, but he always wanted me to, you know, kind of like 
find my own path. But, uh, you know, it was kind of inevitable at some point at, um, that I was going to end up in racing. Um, so it, it happened around the time when I was in uh, just before middle school, and uh, I just wanted to try it out. And, and when you're that old, it's it's something that you just do for fun. Um, you know, just... Um, it's just something that you do for fun after school, during the summer, and that's what it was until I was maybe about 15 or 16, and then I started taking it a little bit more seriously, you know, running it more full-time, um, and then I started, uh, I moved up to Legends Cars, I think, when I was, uh, 17 or 16, um, and then moved up to Late Models when I was 18, uh, then ARCA a couple years later when I was, um, a couple years later when I was 22, or, yeah, or 21, <laughs> and then trucks last year, and then, and uh, I'm still in it this year. Now, going to the Cars Tour, you first started running that back in 2015. You had 10 top 10s in 10 races, 5 top 5s in the season. You finished third in the standings. Uh, you didn't get your first win until 2017. That was the U.S. Short Track Nationals at Bristol Motor Speedway last year. Uh, and then in ARCA, you were one of a select few, about 10 drivers, who won in their first career start. And just explain that progression, how going from a late model to an ARCA car, how big of a leap that is. Yeah, you know... Um... I I feel like the that whole season I had the first year I ran a car show was plagued with bad luck. Like I was um I was running second, I believe, uh in the third race that we had at Orange County. Um third, third race of the whole schedule and uh had like a valve spring go out with uh I think five to go as I was making a pass for the lead. Um and it just a bunch of random stuff like that happened to you know, plague us with bad luck. Um but, you know, I, I was leading the points going into the final race, um, and uh, but still ended up there. We had a, we had a good run that year. Um, but, yeah, I did end up winning the Short Track U.S. Nationals last year. Um, you know, finally good to get that car short run out of the way. And then, um, yeah, I was, for the ARCA stuff, I was actually kind of worried that I wasn't going to make, like, a, a proper transition, like, to it. Like, I kind of struggled in the test, um, but come race day, I ended up qualifying third. We were fast in practice, and uh, everything was looking really good. And uh, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be. You know, I ended up racing a lot more like a late model than I thought. Had a lot of grip. It was a lot of fun. Hot, slick. Uh, Toledo was a blast. And, uh, you know, to get the win in your first ARCA start, you join that elite club. It's, uh, it's something special. And since then, you've moved up to the truck series. You ran part-time last year with Kyle Busch. This year, you're running full-time with Door Sport Racing. Uh, this past weekend wasn't the best for you. Uh, can you explain what happened between you and Dalton Sargent that ended up wiping both yourself and Jennifer Joe Cobb out of the race? Yeah, it was just an unfortunate racing deal, and, uh, you know, that happens sometimes. You you do your best to, to control everything that you can, but uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out for you. But actually, up until that point, it was a really good race for us. We were... Um, we were, I'd say for the past couple of races, we we were trying out some different strategies to like to get a win. You know, we almost won it on fuel mileage at Kansas. Um, you know, we, we were doing stuff like that, but we we sat down. We were thinking, you know, we need to do, we need to get stage, you know, because that's what helps you to 
um, gain spots in the championship. Um, and that's what we did. We finished third in the first stage and eighth in the second stage, and I think we were running seventh at that point, um, you know, catching sixth. So, you know, Texas is a place where you have to be really good at one corner, and then the other corner is just so fast that everybody's about the same. Um, but, you know, we, we had a really good race up to that point, and it's just unfortunate what happened. Now, speaking of Texas, earlier today they released the schedule for next year. Texas is being moved up. The fall race It's now going to be in March, uh, making a triple header weekend. And is there a track that you would want to see on the schedule? Yeah, I would really love to see some place like Lucas Oil Raceway uh, in Indianapolis. That would be really cool. Um, that or maybe Dominion Raceway. Uh, or maybe even Auto Club, you know. Um, I think it's good when we have companion weekends with Cup. Um, you know, it's... <laughs> uh, a lot of these tracks, I think, that, you know, NASCAR has shied away from are still really good. Um, like I said, I think... It, uh, I just watched a... Uh, I think it was an Xfinity race from, like, 2009 or something when they were racing at Full Raceway, and it was uh, it was absolutely... <laughs> it looked absolutely insane, you know, just the restart and how many cars were there. So, you know, I think... Maybe a few old tracks could break back. Would be good. Now, going back to Texas, this past weekend, you ran in companion with IndyCar. First off, what is it like to run with a series that's a completely different discipline? And second, how quickly are you able to adapt to a different rubber compound where they run Firestone or, say, with ARCA where they run General Tire? Well, I haven't really, we haven't, I haven't seen a truck race, um, well, I say that, I, I ran Chicagoland last year, and that had the, the Arca rubber on it, but um, as far as the Firestone rubber, it actually adds a lot of grip for the trucks, like, we had a, there was a lot of grip in the track for qualifying, you know, when IndyCar had just been out, um, it, it adds a lot of speed, um, but you know, it, it's two totally different worlds, I stayed, I stayed there and hung out for the IndyCar race, it was actually really cool, um, so to be there and watch that was just really awesome. Um, they're insanely fast, even with the low downforce packages. They're doing like they're doing two twenty average. So to to see that is insane. Um, you know, I definitely would like to run an IndyCar race one day. Um, but but yeah, you know, you, you try and adapt the best to the rubber. Um, but it, the general t- or the the Firestone rubber helped out a lot uh, with grip and. As we were talking about before the show, and you just alluded to, you would want to run an IndyCar race one day. What about something like Formula One, which is Richard's forte as far as knowledge <laughs> there, or another discipline altogether like Robbie Gordon's Stadium Super Trucks, which was also at Texas? Hey, anything with a, a steering wheel and a gas pedal, I'm steering wheel, four wheels, I'm good to go. <laughs> uh, you know, Formula One is something that I grew up wanting to race, uh, but. You know, like I said, it was, you know, racing for me was, you know, not that serious until I was about 16. And from what I was told, you have to be in, like, in a factory cart ride by the time you're, like, 13 for that. So um, <laughs> I was maybe just a little bit late on that one. Um, but, you know, the stadium super trucks, I think they were with us at uh, Texas this past weekend. And it was it was insane just to watch them go through the jumps, hop over the walls, and, um, you know, beat and bang into each other. They're, they look like a blast to drive. Um, kind of like driving a land barge. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would definitely would love running Formula One race one day. 
Now, one more question for me. Uh, to my knowledge, you have not run a race on dirt. So what are your expectations going into Eldora later this year? Well, I think we've seen um, almost, I think, uh, maybe three completely different uh, winners ever since it started, or three different styles of wins since we started, because as far as I can remember, of all the people who've won, it's been Daryl Wallace, um, Kyle Larson, maybe? Did he win Larson one? did win one. Yeah, so, and then uh, Matt Crafton won last year. So you've got uh, an up-and-coming kid who's never raced dirt, um, or I guess he's a cup driver now, so you can't call him up-and-coming, <laughs> a legit dirt racer, and uh, a Wiley veteran of the truck series. So you've got three completely different guys, as far as I can remember. So I'm going in with the, an open expectation that knowing that, you know, just about any driving style can win there. Um, and uh, I'm just going to have fun with it. I mean, it's you're driving a truck on, you're driving a NASCAR truck on dirt, so how much, how much uh, fun can you have with it? Probably a lot. Now, Frank, do you have any questions? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm just, just looking at the truck schedule. So this is your first full season in the truck series, and we're talking about different tracks, and, you know, the trucks, uh, you know, the Eldora's out there, you know, obviously you've got, you've got, like, Pocono, which is an interesting tr- track, and then Martinsville, which is the total opposite. Uh, is, there, is there a track that you haven't run on that, that you kind of really have circled on your cal- calendar, and you're thoroughly looking forward to trying out? Um, I would say Canadian Tire Park, uh, most sport. I always love road courses, and I've been kind of starved of it, um, you know, for a long time. I mean, the last time I ran a road course was in a Legends car. Um, but, but being able to go up to Canada, I have family up there, um, and, and being able to run a road course in a big, heavy stock car is, you know, something that you look forward to. It's, uh, it's a blast. You kind of sling them around the track, and uh, you have a lot of fun. Um, and, of course, outdoor, too. That one's going to be a blast. You know, all these, all these tracks are fun, and they're, uh, they're great to go to. Now, uh, Richard, I want, I'd like to bring you into the conversation here. So, Richard, you've got a question? Yeah, yeah. How's it going? That's great. Great. Good, uh, good. Th- that's uh, your I whole question? Yeah. Pouring a beer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> no, so... Yeah. Hello? Yeah, no, um, yeah so my question is, uh, I guess it's more... We, we discuss it a lot when it comes to the Xfinity series, but... You know, you do see it in the truck series. What's your opinion on, you know, when you get some of the cup drivers stepping down into a truck, you know, is that something you learn from them? Or do you feel that sometimes they take the attention away from the guys that probably deserve, you know, deserve it, who are the regular runners? You know, I've seen a, a million different theories on how to how to deal with this. But the thing is, you think back to, like, you know, the early 2000s and cup drivers, <laughs> there would be, 20 of them in an Xfinity race, and uh, nobody batted an eye. Um, you know, I think one thing they're doing now is that they're running, you know, they're running cup-level equipment, uh, which definitely, or not cup-level equipment, but, like, um, Xfinity teams that are basically based on, on yeah. cup team. Um, you know, so that definitely, you know, maybe gives them a leg up a bit. Um, but I think it's a good thing, honestly, because you get to run against a, a really experienced person, you learn from them every time. You know, every time Kyle Busch is on the track, I'm wondering what he's doing and why he's doing it. Um, and he obviously runs a lot of truck races. Uh, he's the only cup driver who really does anymore. Um, but any time that I can, you know, learn from him, um, I think it's I think it's good for me personally. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's it's one of these sort of debates that's going been going on so much lately, especially you know, 
Carol Bush is probably the prime example. You know, he turns up in a in an Xfinity car, and you are pretty much sort of fighting for second a lot of the time out there. But uh, you know, it does get the attention on the series, I guess, and it, you know, it's good for the sponsor. Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a whirl. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's good for the TV coverage as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anytime you can add broadcast value to to a sport, um, you know, especially some of the lower series that may not have as good a viewership as Cup, um, you know, you it, it's helpful. I think you know, have it. You know, as much as people like to complain about it, it does help the sport. Um, yeah. You know, it brings more attention to the younger drivers. Um, you know, while the guy may win. If you if you're battling for the lead with that guy, um, that cup driver, then you're going to get a lot more uh, notoriety than you would if you had just uh, you know, than if you had just finished second to you know a series regular. Oh yeah, yeah. Now the next race for you is this weekend at Iowa. Uh, Ford has never won in the truck series at Iowa. Uh, with you mentioned earlier the dominance of Ford performance in the Cup Series. They've been running well in the Xfinity Series. Is there just something missing in the Truck Series for you and your team? Well, you got to think. Um, you know, we we just switched to Ford this year, so we're trying to figure it out. Everybody's trying to figure out this whole uh, Ilmore motor, spec motor. Um, you know, it, it's a it's a little bit of a different ball game this year. Um, but, you know, I think Thor Sport has done a really good job at adapting, you know, especially for how late that they transitioned to being a Ford team. Um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of great work from them, and um, we've actually been close quite a few times. Um, ben had a really good truck at Martinsville. I had a really good truck at Vegas. Uh, Matt had a really good truck at Atlanta. I think he ran, like, third. Um, you know, and, and Grant's been close a few times. So we've all been close. It's just we just need that one little bit of, of luck or uh, things to go our way, and I think one of us will be in victory lane pretty soon. So, Matt, are you ever spooked with the fact that you run the number 13? I mean, number 13 is, you know, <laughs> been, been considered unlucky in auto racing. It was actually banned in IndyCar racing for years and years. It was never used in Formula 1. It was used very infrequently uh, in NASCAR, and I think this, that is the only – guy that ever won a cup level race with the number 13 was johnny rutherford uh back in the 60s at a qualifier uh for the for daytona so uh are you superstitious at all um do you do you do you like the number um i mean was it that number by design or or is it just something that could, that, that you could care less about you know i i don't have any problems with it um you know it, it with the black font on it and everything 
it uh, it actually kind of looks uh, pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I enjoy running it, and uh, I wasn't going to go and tell Thorsport, yeah, we can't run that, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah, if you're putting me in the car, yeah, whatever number you want. <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, I, I enjoy it. I, I try not to stay superstitious, um, but, uh, you know, I, I think you make your own luck sometimes. Absolutely. So now you've uh, you've mentioned that you you really enjoy road racing. Um, now, where did you uh, uh, you know where did you have a chance to like do some road racing early on? What in shifter carts or um, or or what other kind of disciplines did you race early on that you had a chance to do do some road racing? I actually made a lot of my road starts in Legend Car, um, the infield road in Charlotte Motor Speedway. I actually that was. My in a Legends car on a road course. So, um, so being able to run those is a lot of fun. Um, but like I said, I've been kind of starved of road courses for a, a while now. Um, so finally be able to go back, go back in a stock car is something that I've been looking forward to for a long time. Yeah, that'll be fun. I mean, that every, every time I see stock cars on a road course, and I remember the first time I ever saw them, and it was sometime in the early 90s, and I was just flipping channels. I'm like, what is this? It looks like NASCAR, but they're at Sonoma. And Mark Martin flipped his car over and jumped down, grabs the crew guys to flip it back, and got back in the race. I'm like, wow, this has got some entertainment value to it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, Matt, where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, yeah, in case they want to kind of follow follow up with your uh, career and see how things are progressing. Well, I've got uh, I've got Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, all that good stuff. Um, it's basically the same on everything except Instagram. Uh, it's at Myatt Snyder for most everything except Instagram, which is Myatt underscore Snyder. So you can follow me on that everywhere. Um, you know, I try to stay pretty active. Um, I do giveaways decent, uh, decently often. Um, you know, and uh, follow my sponsors too. You know, hot sauce from the Carolina Company. <laughs> now, where are you racing next? Was it Iowa? Is that correct? We got Iowa, then Gateway, um, and then. Kentucky, Kentucky, yeah. All right. Well, well, Seth and I will be at Kentucky, so we'll uh, we'll try to track you down in the garage and say hi and see how you're doing. So uh, we wish you the best of luck, and we wish the Thor Sport um, team best of luck in uh, that number thirteen Ford. So uh, thanks again for coming on with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, um, it sound like a really enthusiastic young man who enjoys racing, and uh, it's I think it's just fantastic that that you get to do what you love. So, um, uh, you know, good night for now. We'd love to have you uh, back on the show later in the season to talk about your first truck win when that happens at Canadian Tire Park. How's that sound? That sounds like a plan. <laughs> All right. So, um, well, Matt, good night, and. Um, We'll, uh, we'll have you back on the show again later this year. Again, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, and, again, folks listening, go to follow Myatt on uh, social media uh, to see how we um, his season rolls out. So, Now, Seth, let's talk about this rain fest in Michigan. If only they could have gotten started sooner. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Clint Boyer, as you alluded to earlier in the show, he won the race. Uh it was somewhat of a caution-filled race because everyone knew the weather was coming. They just didn't know when. A rainstorm would pop up on the radar, it would fall apart before it got to the track, and it happened repeatedly. 
And Boyer just happened to have the right strategy to be out front at the right time. He took two tires, was able to hold off Kevin Harvick on a two-lap restart before uh, there was a caution for an incident. And under that caution, it rained. And a somewhat bizarre moment happened during that. Uh, NASCAR had said told the pace car to go around one more time so the field could get the checkered on track. The pace car went down pit road. The top 10 went down pit road. Everybody else continued to circulate until uh, NASCAR caught it, had them come down pit road and stopped them prior to the start finish line and ended the race. Otherwise, it was, it was a Stuart Haas domination. Uh, Boyer led eight laps. Harvick led 49 laps. Kurt Busch led 46 laps. Only about 30 laps of the race was not Haas' car. And if you break it down even further, only 11 laps were not led by Ford. So it was a Stuart Haas domination. It was a Ford domination. Paul Menard got his first top five of the year. It's, it's really interesting how the um, you know the the Fords have been strong, but mainly the Stuart Haas Fords. You know the um, the Penske cars have been good, but they just haven't hit victory lane since uh, you know Keselowski and the non points paying thing before Daytona. So, uh, I, I did, what do you think the difference is between um, <clears throat> what they're doing with Penske, what Penske's doing, and what uh, Tony Stewart and uh, company are doing? Well. There is a little bit of debate as to what is going on. Uh, some of it may be personnel. Some of it may be the parts and pieces they're using. Logano did get that win at Taldega, but outside of Super Speedways, Penske has not won since last season. Uh, it Stuart Haas has found something. What it is, not only is the rest of the field trying to find it, but the other Ford teams are trying to find it. And even in Ford itself, you have Stuart Haas as number one. You have Team Penske with a very close second. Then you have to scroll all the way down to about 30th to find either of the Roush Fenway cars. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. finished 29th after having a stellar qualifying run. So... It's really hit and miss right now for Ford in some senses, and Stuart Haas is just hitting it uh, constantly. Uh, a couple stats on Boyer. This is, like you said, his first two or more win season since 2012. It was his 10th win, and he's just the third driver to get his 10th win in over 480 starts, joining Ricky Rudd and Harry Gant. Those are those are some big names, Ricky and Harry. Yeah. So, but but let me ask you this now, okay? Um, so we've got uh, there's two other guys at uh, Stuart Haas there who haven't broke through with the win yet. Uh, now now Kurt Busch has certainly looked pretty good this year, but that ten car they still haven't seemed to got him in a position to win. Um, is, is it that the wealth isn't spread evenly as Stuart Haas, or is or is just waiting for Eric's time to, for him to break through? Because I really oh. haven't seen him mount a challenge. Trust me, the wealth is definitely spread evenly. Uh, he just moved over to Stuart Haas this year. Uh, some of it is just 
uh, getting the team to gel. Some of it is also a little bit of the 10 car has always been the underperforming car at Stuart Haas, similar to how at Hendrick for years and years, the 25 car or the five car or the 88 car at certain points of their four car uh, team was underperforming. Right. And, and, And you've seen the same thing, say like an IndyCar when Ganassi had, you know, was running four cars and only two of them would win. So, I, let me add, this is just a crazy question now, right? So, the, the 10 car was underperforming for years, right? But Danica was driving it, right? Yeah. Every, everyone laid the blame on, you know, Danica can't win, whatever. So, but now, the 10 car is still lags behind the others. I mean, does that, <laughs> does, does that well, uh, give Danica something to say, hey, look, see, I was right, or... Because uh, if Amarola would have come in and just started winning right away, you know, it. I, I would agree with you. However, Amarola has been finishing in the top ten and in the top fifteen. And the other comparison I can make is, Ralph Fenway took Trevor Bain out of the car. They plugged in Matt Kenseth, and in the which, same which, amount, which by the way, they announced earlier today. I think Kenseth is picking up ten more races. Uh, six of those were already known. Four were added. So, so ten total. Ten more total. Uh, and if you look at the stats for uh, Bain and for Kenseth in the same number of races so far this year, Bain's average finish twenty four point seven. Kenseth's average finish twenty four point eight. Bain's best finish was a twelfth place finish for Kenseth, a thirteenth. It's mirrored, so even bringing in that veteran, bringing in a former champion, nothing has changed, at least st- uh, statistically, at Roush Fenway. So if the theory was just changing the driver, then the, the six car should have improved dramatically, having Kenzit, who won as recently as Phoenix in the playoffs last year. Okay, all right. Good enough. Now, Richard, you wanted to make some comments on the Xfinity race at Michigan? Yeah. Um, I don't know if, uh, if, if many of you guys got to got a chance to watch that race. Uh, but as, as with the cup race, there was a lot of uh, weather banded around. I must admit, I didn't see all of the race. I just caught the, caught the very end of it there. Um, but... You had this scenario at the end of the race where it was pretty obvious that weather was coming and there was only going to be a couple of laps of racing at most. And I think it, I think the restart was with like two to go until the end of stage two. And at the end of stage two, the race became official. I think that was the case. Um, so it was pretty much a shootout to the end. And through strategy, you had... Two RCR cars, actually it's three RCR cars uh, in the top three positions on the restart with Austin Dillon, Daniel Hamrick uh, on the front row, if you like, for that restart. Now, you know, as you know, Austin's a, a full-time cup driver and basically, you know, a win for him in the Xfinity Series is nothing more than another trophy on the mantelpiece. Whereas for, for Daniel, although they've been running very strong and are comfortably in the playoffs on points, uh, you know, win locks them into the end of season uh, playoffs in the Xfinity Series. And yes, there is the 
concept of manipulating the result and that being against NASCAR's rules and regulations and all that sort of stuff. But you've got to play the smart card here, guys. You know, you make sure that Hemrick wins that race. You know, yeah, it wasn't like any of those cars had been the fastest cars all race. It was just purely through to strategy. So it wasn't like, well, you know, Austin's led 90% of the laps, so he deserves to win the race. It was a case of, They've got themselves here. There's one lap shootout to go before the, the race is pretty much going to be declared. So, you know, let's look at the team picture here, the bigger picture. What is the best thing for the team and the organization here going forward? And I just think that was a huge, huge miss for those guys to, to pull that. And, you know, there's the whole family issue there, I, I know. But if you've got your team hat on, you make, you know, you, you tell Austin, hey, take the outside lane or the slow lane or whatever it is on the restart, you know, make sure that Henrik wins that. Oh, and I do agree with you to a certain point on that. It was around lap 90 and NASCAR did try to restart it. Although it was maybe a half a lap that they had uh, before NASCAR throw the yellow because of rain. And granted whether or not NASCAR should have done that with how close the rain was, that's up for debate. Point is, with how little time there was, I'm not sure there was much other than maybe Austin spinning the tires on the restart or uh, not fighting as hard off of maybe turns one and two that Hemrick could have done to get the lead with uh, Austin restarting on the outside line, which was the preferred line all race long. Uh, to a certain point, the race was follow the leader, even with this package, but that was mainly because people were trying to hold on to position because of the weather uh, that was coming. And in practice, uh, they figured out what they could or couldn't do with this package, which practice, they were three, four, sometimes even five wide. And in the race, it was either single file or double file. I mean, I, I thought that the package, again, you know, worked pretty well. Um, you know, I, I'm just, I was just watching it purely from a, you know, a team, you know, if I was having my sort of team manager's hat on or whatever it was, you know, my car owner's hat, you know, you, you've got to look at the bigger picture there a little bit. And I know there's quite tight rules within NASCAR to prevent the manipulation of the rules and manipulation of results, but, eh, you know, it was, uh, I, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to sort of, um, question them there, but you'd have thought that, uh, Austin could have, uh, you know, told, oh, I'm going to start on the inside lane, or whatever. And, and I just want to also mention, a 10-minute difference was the difference between Austin Dillon winning a rain-shortened race, or Kaz Grala in the Fury Racing Cars team winning a <laughs> rain-shortened race, and he only has sponsorship for one more race. After that, he's done for the season as of right now. And yeah. that team only came together three weeks ago, and they were 10 minutes away from ending up with a win. I'll buy Rain Shorten, but they will have played the strategy beautifully. Yeah, Rain has a tendency to produce a surprise winner, and you can just imagine the lost opportunity that you know that a race win could have done for those guys. You know, with he's got nothing else to look forward to this year, might have had you know that prize money made him bought him another race or whatnot. So, but uh, hey, you know what? It, it is what it is. Sometimes the, the racing gods shine on you, and 
sometimes they sunshines in you and it keeps the rain away. <laughs> so, and real quick, uh, I just want to mention the truck series race this weekend as we had my on Johnny Sauter won uh, late race restart. Going into turn three, Johnny Sauter ran out of fuel. Going into the banking, the G-Forces forced the fuel up into the pickup. He was able to re- uh, refire the motor and win the race by less than a tenth of a second. I'm, I don't remember the last time that happened, but that's pretty lucky and pretty impressive at the same time. That's certainly different, yeah. yeah I missed that, so that must have been fun to see, so... So anyway, so NASCAR, they got uh, the week off next week, correct? Uh, for the Cup Series. The Cup uh, Series, X- do you? Xfinity and Trucks are in Iowa, are, right? Correct. Correct. All right, so and the Cups are next at Sonoma, coming up in uh, two weeks' time, and that'll be a fun race. So we'll do our picks for Sonoma next week. So um, any other NASCAR news before we uh, move on and start talking about Formula One a little bit? Uh, I do want to mention one thing real quick. Uh Yesterday, and of course we're recording on Wednesday, so yesterday on Tuesday uh, was the fifth anniversary of losing Jason Leffler. Uh, I wrote a piece uh, remembering Jason Leffler for our Remembering a Champion feature on Moore Sports Tribune. Uh, if you have a chance, please go and check it out. I was able to go and speak with Casey Kane. Uh, Keith Coons, uh, one of Jason's former team owners, Justin Olgar, and Denny Hamlin about Jason. And it it is a very, from what I've been told by other people who have read my article, I'm not trying to boast, it is a very good piece. Right. Seth, Seth, I'll help you out. Um, okay. So, so you don't sound like you're blatantly self promoting <laughs> yeah. Seth, uh, Seth has, has put together a really nice tribute to uh the late jason leffler uh, and has reached out to some of his friends and and uh, you'll find that on motorsportstribune.com uh you also can find links to it on uh their facebook page you find a link to it on our facebook page drafting the circus uh, we've uh, shared that as well so uh, uh really really nice job with that seth i mean you know uh and you've gotten a lot of uh, really positive response there yeah even even denny hamlin was uh Hamlin and Kane have Hamlin both retweeted it, and yep. yeah. So so good for you, Seth. Keep it up. So so now, Richard, Montreal, yeah. Montreal, yeah. one of my favorite tracks on the circuit. There, oh yeah. Um, pretty much, yeah. Everyone said that the race was boring. Um, I don't know, but uh, you know, Vettel, good on him. Take the points lead back. Um, you know, behind him. Let's 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 talk about it. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's one of the great tracks out there. It's one of the again the older tracks out there, isn't it? And it you know normally does produce excellent racing. Um, was this race as good as some of the classic Montreal races? Eh, probably not. But I I found it very strange people bashing the last two races. You know, Monaco people bashed. I thought it was an enthralling race. You know, Montreal. It's just great to watch the cars drive around there. I mean, it's sometimes you want to see all of this action, but sometimes you've got to sit back also and just appreciate how good these guys are. Uh, so that was one of my big takeaways from this weekend, really. It, to do what these guys do around there is pretty impressive. But um, it's an unusual... You know, Montreal's been Lewis Hamilton's playground for the last few years now, and 
to a greater extent, I mean, we talked about it on the show last week. I certainly expected uh, the Mercedes cars to go there and and dominate again. Um, but you you had a situation where potentially caused by the lack of updates that Mercedes bought on their engine package, both uh, Renault, well, yeah, Renault, Ferrari, and Honda all bought um, uh, you know upgraded power units to the to the race, and Mercedes, due to a quality control issue, uh, held theirs on potentially until France in, in in two weeks. So they were a little bit on the back foot. But you still expected them to, um, you know, probably do a little bit better than they did. And again, you, you saw this sort of strange weekend for Hamilton. Really, he just he just wasn't there. Uh, you know, Valtteri uh, pretty much had the match of him and the beating of him, say all weekend, but for, for long periods of the weekend, and then you know, came to the race. Uh, Hamilton just wasn't there. He did have a cooling issue, which they had to resolve one of the pit stops by uh, removing some bodywork, which was pretty impressive because it didn't really slow the pit stop down. But uh, he, he sort of just wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't at the races. And I think he finished fifth. Um, and, you know, that handed the, the championship lead back to back to Vidal. And as close as it is, come the end of the season, it, it could be weekends like this where uh, Hamilton sort of pays the price. Um, throughout the weekend, um we saw, well, at the start of the race, we saw a potentially nasty coming together between Brendan Hartley and uh, Lance Stroll coming through. Yeah, that was, uh, that was Lance Stroll being the hometown hero there. That was yeah, kind of sad yeah. for the fans in attendance to see him go out so early in the race, particularly that he, he won a... He could have put, them out the, could have put him out of his misery. Yeah, well, I mean, particularly, <laughs> didn't did, did Stroll hit the podium there last year? No, he finished in the points there last year. That finished in the points. points. That's, that's right, right. His yeah. first points. And yeah, then the so. following, I think the following race was Azerbaijan where he did get on the podium, I think, along those lines anyway. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, just you always, you know, because uh, Formula One being so nationalistic, you always hate to see the hometown guy yeah, go out early. No, for sure. Especially as he did well there last year. But again, Williams were were poor again this week and very, very poor there in they're in real turmoil. I mean, they've lost uh, Ed Wood, their chief designer, who was there when I worked with them, and they also lost the head of Aero. Uh, he's he's gone. So there's there's a lot of manoeuvring of people, and with having Paddy Lowe on board there now, you know, you'd think he's been there what eighteen months now. So you'd hope to start to see some improvement in performance, and if anything, it's got worse this year, which. Is that down to the inexperience in the driver lineup? Is that down to money? Uh, we don't really know. I mean, the power unit is there. You know, there's certainly no issue with the power unit. But um, looking at the replays of that incident on the first lap there, I think if Hartley wasn't there, Stroll would have put it in the wall anyway. Uh, you're coming round sort of turn five, which isn't really a turn. It's a sort of a fast right-hand kink. Um, I, I think Hartley got a better exit coming off four, which is the fast chicane, and, and tried to sort of go around the outside of five, which would have been the inside of six, onto Stroll, which is a you know a move you can realistically make. Uh, and probably he had the position or had the room to make that work. But then 
Stroll got uh, you know a large oversteer and the back end stepped out and just collected Hartley and uh, potentially it was a, it was a nasty coming together there. Um, I don't think anybody could have apportioned blame. I mean, if they are, I think you have to point at Stroll to a certain extent because he was the one that lost control of his car. I don't think I, don't, I think if he kept control of the car, I don't think there would have been an issue. But uh, yeah, it was uh, you know a nasty little coming together there, which was. Uh, yeah, it's a shame because, you know, you want to see Lance do well at his home race. But, uh, you know, the, you, as I said, it could have put him out of his misery because those Williams cars have been pretty poor all season. Yeah. So let's talk real quick about the finish of the race and the early checkered <laughs> flag. Uh, that's a, a little gaff. I don't know. They had some... Supermodel, I guess, was yeah, supposedly so, yeah. So in charge of, of in charge of uh, waving the flag. Um, they tried, tried, she wasn't. They, they tried to throw the blame on her. She she's absolutely is. Uh, oh no! I when they told me to do this, yeah. uh, you know. So you really uh, no. so. But but how does this happen? How does this happen in, in a in a te- technically knows. advanced Formula One? We accidentally flagged I the mean, race. It, it happened reasonably, you know, a few few years ago with. LA in Brazil um, and I think that it, it throws up an interesting quirk in the rules and it didn't actually affect the outcome of the, of the uh, result here because no, if it, the checkered flag yeah. is waved early then they, it's the same as a red flag and they back the result by a lap so actually the race was officially only 68 laps long rather than 70 so there was a little bit of a quirk in there which uh, as a, thankfully the only thing it did cause is that I don't think Ricciardo got his fastest lap I think that went to uh, Verstappen, but um, yeah, it's very, very strange. And uh, I mean, they've got all these, as you say, you know, Formula One is this is high tech spot. They've got all these electronic boards for the marshalling stations and the light gantries and all this sort of stuff. And you, you see, and goodness me, you see Abu Dhabi. The whole grandstand turns into a checkered flag at the end of the race. You know, there are. Do you really need somebody waving a flag that, in all fairness, the drivers probably can't see? Even the marshalling system these days comes through onto the dashboard. So, you know, the, the only reason that the marshals are there is if the drivers have an electrical failure and can't see the um, flag statuses. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I guess it's tradition. Yeah, I mean, wait, wait, yeah waving the flag is as old as auto racing itself. So, now, Seth, yeah. Seth you have a little comment on this? He actually did just one thing. Uh, Sergio Perez uh, didn't get to make his pass on Kevin Magnuson. Granted, it was only uh, for 13th place, so it wasn't okay. in the points. Okay. But uh, the only thing I can relate this to, at least NASCAR-wise, uh, since I followed NASCAR for so long compared to Formula One, uh, last year in the season opener for the Canaan Pro East Series, uh they failed to throw the checkered flag on the final lap, causing them to race one extra lap and ended up wiping out three of the cars. <laughs> However, per NASCAR rules, it goes to the official race distance because it wasn't an official green-white checkered. So I can see the difference in rules. Uh, I'm just curious as to why it only goes back one lap instead of the lap that they got the checkered flag on. Because they treat it as a red flag, and under the red flag conditions, they go back a lap in case, like the red flag was caused by an accident, and it you know it catches people out, and they have to stop on track for whatever reason. 
they don't want the red flag or the, the, the reason the red flag was caused to impact the result of the race. And if the checkered flag is waved early, then that is deemed the same as a red flag. That's my understanding of the rule anyway. Right, because, because waving the checkered flag early would indicate that we've got like a weather condition or something that's going to end the race. And yeah. waving the red flag, the- flag early is, is um, you know... Her waving the checkered early is not meant to be an error. You know, the the, no. the the rule isn't in place if we accidentally say, "Oops, oh crap!" There's supposed to be one more, but uh, the checkered flag should wave early because if you got you know rain coming down, we said, "Okay, we're going to go ahead and, and and red and checker at the same time," and, and we've seen that. You know, we saw that at uh, saw that in Michigan where we, we ended early for rain, and but they didn't revert to the scoring. But it's it's, it's, it's an old rule. It makes sense. But not in the context that it was used this past weekend. Okay, I mean that that was just some silly that should have happened. But again, it didn't affect anything. But but had it, I mean, what you know, what you know, what if you know somebody would have stormed around, uh, stormed around Vettel uh, on that 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 lap and took the checker, and then that's all negated. That would be a yeah, I mean, that, that would be a messy be, uh... messy incident right there. I think the sort of setup within the teams, I didn't hear any of the, the team radio communication, but, you know, most of the teams would be like, hey, just keep going, you know. Uh, you know, I'm sure they've got luck counts on their dash, and they, know, you know, they, they, they would have been some sort of radio communication with them. Um, I I don't think anybody, it would be interesting to look at the timing and scoring on that last, the, the, the lap times for that last lap. Um, I don't think anybody sort of slowed down and, uh, wave for the crowd sort of thing. I think most of the teams knew that it was a mistake, and it's like, hey, guys, just, just keep going, just in case. Now, I know I heard something. I'm not sure if it was Vettel or Valtteri Botas, uh, I'll be honest, but one of the drivers came on the radio to his team saying that they hoped fans weren't going to go and yeah, form was, the track like how they uh, typically do after an F1 race. Yeah, that was Vettel who made that comment, I think. All right, so let's talk about Alonzo real quick, who had an absolutely miserable race, and <laughs> and it's it's thrown more and more fuel to the fire about uh, Alonzo walking away from Formula One and coming into uh, a McLaren IndyCar program full time, possibly in a technical partnership with Andretti Autosport. Um, this keeps getting stronger and stronger. Uh, Zach is saying if things look favorable. Alonzo has been quoted to say, I've got a big decision to make in the next couple of weeks. So, um, man, you know, that would be huge that, you know, I, you know, McLaren coming to IndyCar full-time is a good enough story as it is, but bringing Alonzo on as their driver uh, as early as next year, well, that's pretty incredible. Richard? Yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to, to sort of see that happen. As you say, it's looking more and more likely that it's going to happen um, in, in one form or another with the, uh, you know, Zach Brown having been in Detroit recently and, uh, you know, they've, they've got some pretty big names working on this project. And, and, Michael, and Michael was in Montreal in the McLaren pit. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, as you say, there's no smoke without fire on this one. Um, you know, the interesting thing about the Alonso sort of scenario is and it, you've got to be careful when you say it. it's not being disrespectful to IndyCar, but 
a lot of the times when these guys do come over from racing Formula One into the IndyCar series, they're you know at the end of their career. You know the Barrichello, the Sato, or the you know they've they've been they've lost the drive at a lower team. You know the the Max Chilterns, the Alexander Rossi's, the guys like that. Um, so to actually have somebody that. Yeah, I, 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 I would disagree that Max Chilton and Alexander Rossi are at the end of their careers, but no, no, I did say you know I was trying to sorry I was also <laughs> trying to make the point of they've lost their you know drive, lost their you know, drive. It yeah, it yeah. wasn't their choice. Should we put it that way? That's yeah, but, you, that but you're you're, but you're talking about guys like Emerson Fittipaldi coming over after a great career in Formula One. Yeah, and doing yeah, well. You know, I, I mean, uh, I think Matt Mansell, Nigel Mansell coming in right after winning the championship was huge. That was huge. That yeah. was huge. Yeah. Now, if you, look, if you look at Alonzo's results, Formula One results over the last several seasons, uh, you're probably looking at a guy as close to the end of the career, but uh, he's he's as good as they get right now. So, but you, Yeah. You, you, and talent, talent, huge, talent, talent wise, talent wise. There is a huge caveat with all of those results, obviously. And, you know, you look at what was available to him. And what he was, you know, performing in that McLaren Honda and even the McLaren Renault this year, they're no, you know, th- there's no great shakes about either of those cars. So you certainly have to look at who he's driving against, and and, and to a certain extent, I think Alonso likes the sound of his own voice a little bit when he says how great he's been driving. Well, yeah, of course he's going to say that, but you know, the guy's still got it. And if you put him in a Ferrari against Vettel or a Mercedes against Hamilton or a Red Bull against either of those guys, you know, he's still going to be pushing them. He's still going to be there, and he's still going to, um, you know, give as good as anybody. So it'd be interesting to see somebody come into IndyCar, potentially, who is at the top of their game still. Um, exactly, yeah. So, anyway. You know, and, and what he does, it could be very interesting. You know, what do you, do you want him to go out there and win? And blitz the competition? Do you want him to go out there and struggle? What do you want him to do? You know, it's almost like, you know, you, you, it'd be an interesting... If he goes out there and wins the championship in his first season, like Mansell did, everybody would be like, oh, well, you know, it just shows that the IndyCar drivers are no good. If he struggles, then it'll be like, oh, well, you know, the car's... You know, he's, he's passed it and all this sort of stuff. It'd be very interesting to see. It'll be very interesting to see, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, so we did have an IndyCar race this weekend speaking of IndyCar and um, I've been kind of uh, holding the, off the IndyCar segment till the end of the show till my friend Christopher DeHardy could join me Chris how you doing tonight Chris okay and it says Chris is online so Chris uh, it was worth the wait wasn't it no not really <laughs> but uh, but anyway so yeah so uh, th- this Texas race here I, I know Chris will join us here in a second uh, the Texas race has got a lot of mixed reactions from fans. Okay, Texas has produced oh these pack races and these. Uh, if you remember two years ago, uh, the the finish with uh, you know Ray Hall uh, and Hinchcliffe and and Pagano side by side getting real close and having these really thrilling finishes, um, but it scares the fire out of some people just to watch that. So, um, but this race. With the new de- the new lower downforce package, uh, Tony Kanon before the race said, "Oh, it's going to be a boring race; nobody can pass." Um, that's not the race I saw. 
<laughs> that's not the right size. So I thought it was quite exciting. Uh, but there are a lot of folks who still fed it, felt a bit let down. And I'm not talking about folks in the know. I'm talking about uh, just your general um, fan in the stands or watching on television felt it was a bit of a letdown uh, because we had a large margin of victory and we didn't have the the close wheel-to-wheel. Um, and like every IndyCar rider from Robin Miller to bloggers like uh, Christian Branch uh, and guys like Christopher DeHardy and <laughs> and uh, Josh Farmer have and Robin Miller have written pieces on my take on pack racing and my take on Texas, uh, all, all defending the show that Texas put on. And I thought it was a pretty good show in Texas. Now, Chris, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm here. There he uh, is. To, okay. My response to Kanan's comments is uh, simple. Uh, the only pass that he made was the one going down pit road after he tagged the wall. Um, but it was not a uh, good evening for AJ. For, first and foremost, it was not a good evening for AJ Floyd Racing at all. Um, Matthias Lace's car uh, went out in a blaze of glory, so to speak, um, very early in the race. And Kanan uh, tagging the wall didn't do his team boss any favors but i thought it was a decently you know decently good race i wish it was a little bit easier to pass but i think we had a, a decent enough balance um one thing that i think we should look at that indycar should look at rather is uh will power said that he could there was an incident with will power and zachary claimant de mello where claimant de mello was trying to pass him on the outside Power said he didn't know he was there because his engineer was chatting to him and his spotter didn't have a chance to tell him um, one thing that I think that might, we might want to consider is having a spotter override where the spotter can speak and it would cut off the engineer's uh, microphone. I mean, that's just me talking, though, but yeah, overall, you know what? it was pretty I, I, exciting. I thought the same thing, Chris. I'm like, he said, oh, I didn't hear my spotter because my engineer was talking to me. I'm like, well, uh, you know, who should take precedence? Like, you know, it's like, oh, let's talk about the balance, this and that. And the other guy's, hey, you're about to crash. You know what's what do you what what would you rather hear? So, but uh, yeah, miser- miserable night for Penske, other than Simon, who ha- had Boy, a pre- as well. Yeah, miserable night for Chevy overall. I mean, Ed Carpenter was involved in an incident as well. Yep. It, yep. Overall, it was not a good night for Chevrolet. And it looked it looked like it was going to be a Chevrolet party. You know, after after practice and qualifying, we saw all three Penskes at the front. Uh, you know, in qualifying and then. Uh, you know, a bunch of Hondas in the, in the finish. So, uh, but anyway, speaking of Hondas in the finish, now Scott Dixon, uh, coming off a one-win season last year, which is uncharacteristic, is he's got a two two wins in two wins in a couple of weeks now. Um, his third win at Texas jumps into the points lead, and in doing so. He jumps over Michael Andretti on the all-time list, which puts him... The only guys ahead of Scott Dixon on the all-time list are Mario Andretti and A.J. Foyt. Um, And I realized just how old I am when I thought to myself, when they said that, um, you know, Dixon has now leapfrogged over Michael, that I have seen every one of Michael Michael's 42 wins, and I've now seen every one of Scott Dixon's 43 wins. But that puts Scott in some really rare company, and with a good lead in the points, a fifth championship in sight. Uh, here we are, right at the midpoint in the season. So, uh, 
and and if you look at the remaining schedule and and the tracks, Dixon's won on nearly every track that's left in the remaining season. And the role that he's on, sometimes you know when Scott gets on a roll, you can't stop him. Um, Rossi's going to put up a good fight, but uh, I, I kind of feel like right now Rossi's going to be in like the willpower situation and lose a couple before he wins one. Now, Chris, what are, what are your thoughts on Dixon, his legacy, or or how this championship's going to work its, work itself out? Because we've got about two minutes left. I think Dixon is going to win probably a couple more races. I think he'll probably finish in the top three in the championship uh, if he keeps going the way he is. But I think the fight for the title is going to be between Rossi and Newgarden at the end. And I think Rossi's going to take this one down to the wire. Um because I think he's been on that good of a roll. I do think, though, that um, we're leaving out a very important Honda driver in Sebastian Bourdais. I think he's going to do a good job in the later portion of the season. Um, Craig Hampson is going to do a great job engineering him. And we still have to see um, how the Pesky guys are going to fight back from you know what happened at Texas. Um, that being said, uh, I think Dixon's in rarefied air. I think also think that he hasn't gotten in my opinion the respect he deserves because when you have only you know mario andretti and aj floyd ahead of you on the wins list that's extremely rarefied company and i think that a lot of people have sort of i guess it's because his wins are too new but they haven't had a chance to truly appreciate his greatness but i i'm looking forward to seeing what happens when dixon wins his 50th race and there's only two races behind uh Mario Andretti to see what people had to say about him then. Yeah, yeah, and and that's all right in sight for Dixon. I mean, he's still young enough. I mean, people think that Dixon is deceivingly younger than you would think because he started winning. He started racing so early. You know, the uh, Dixon started racing a Volkswagen where he had to put a uh, a little wooden crate on the seat so he could reach the steering wheel when he was 13 years old he won his first IndyCar race at the age of 19 he wasn't old enough to drink the champagne at the Nazareth Speedway um and now he's uh he's right up there winning year after year uh you know four four championships in the can um a fifth one possibly so but anyway, that's we are right at being out of time. Chris, thanks for joining us late. Chris, you have any last parting comments that you needed to get in before we uh, before we wrap up? Uh, Road to Indy tested at Road America this past week, and an interesting name that I saw on one of the timesheets was Anthony Martin, who was the Pro Mazda runner-up last year, testing with Team Pelfrey. He's uh, it's good to see him back stateside. I don't know if he's going to race at all for the rest of the year, but I really hope that he does. And I'm going to be heading to that Road America race uh, this co- after this coming weekend. This coming weekend is Lamar. Looking forward to seeing how that turns out. And uh, looking forward to going to Road America. Can't wait. And we've got we've got a couple of IndyCar guys uh, going to be at Lamar. Um, so do you have a list of who they are, Chris? I know TK's going. Uh, Bourdais. And, I know and, TK, Bourdais, and, and Dixon are there. And Dixon, right. As well as Alonzo, who's going to try to finish up his... Uh, and Mikhail Lotion. Oh, Lotion. It's a blast from the past. Yeah. yeah, I'd love to see that guy back in the car. But uh, but anyway, guys, we are out of time. I want to thank um, you, Seth, for um, getting uh, Myatt Snyder on the show tonight. I want to thank Myatt for coming on the show. A great interview. Um, again, you know, keep up with this young man who's driving for Thor Sport. 
um, in the truck series. Richard, appreciate you every week coming on. Uh, my friend Greg, you're not with us this week. You're off doing other things, but uh, we're still thinking about you. And Chris, thanks for coming on late. Uh, wish we had more time to chat, but we are out of time. So uh, I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network. I want to thank iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and good night, guys. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.